it was 35 years ago, thereabouts, and uh, I, I was in the Navy, and I walked in this church in Mountain View, California. It was called Church on the Crossroads. And uh, I can remember being on the Navy base. It was a time of my life where I was just on fire for Jesus. The Jesus movement was going on, and I was looking for a church that was, uh, I mean, where something was happening for the Lord. And a friend of mine in the Navy, he told me, he said, I know a church you'd like to go to. And those were my bicycle days, so I kind of bicycled to that church that morning, and uh, I just fell in love with it. Little did I know that uh, the pastor of that church, Pastor Emmanuel Canis Tracy, would become a spiritual father to me, train me for ministry, and uh, even say yes when I asked him if I could marry his daughter. And uh, it's been a real honor. It's kind of a tradition for us. Uh, he comes at Thanksgiving. Uh, we enjoy family time together. But uh, he has been around the block a bit. Uh, he told us last night he's 82 years old, been in ministry 68 years, come on, think about that now, 68 years preaching the gospel, still living for Jesus, still living right, still one wife, going around the world and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. So you're going to hear something today that won't just be informational, but it'll be what God's doing around the earth. Give Apostle C a big hand today as he comes. What an exciting time it is for Sister C and I to be here at one of our favorite churches. And we do go to a lot of churches. I preach somewhere nearly every Sunday somewhere in the world. And this is a place I look forward to, not just because I'm related, but it does help to be related. You have to understand that I don't give a whole lot of uh, bouquets and flattery remarks to people uh, in stretching the truth. But when this young man called Pastor John Miller came to Crossroads, I didn't know him. I'd never met him. And I saw him putting the chairs, we had an auditorium in our, our school gymnasium about this size, and the chairs had to be put up and taken down. And he was a visitor, and he was there early in the morning, 8 o'clock, the deacons are supposed to be there doing that, and he was doing that. And I, I just wondered, who is that good-looking guy? And he was good-looking back then. Let me say it. Let me say it this way. He's he's still, you know, good looking. I had to say that. And I I didn't know who he was. And he was always on his knees in the altar praying because we had what we call pre-service prayer. One hour before service, we would be on our knees praying that God would give us a good service, give us the anointing, and save souls. Back then, there were a whole lot of young people, hippies. I guess the average age in our church would be 20, 21, 22. And uh, I see him praying, and I thought, you know, I need to get a hold of that guy and find out who he is and wh where he's from. Because uh, anyone that walks in a church and starts putting up the chairs and taking down the chairs and working... You, you just know that he's got a gift that God wants to use in ministry and God wants to use in leadership. And so I did, I did get acquainted with him and found out he was in the Navy. And would you believe it? We started an outreach at Muffet Field at the Navy base. And we got some of the best people saved that ever uh, we had in the church. Sailor after sailor got saved and got to become a part of our church. They become deacons and elders and sound and media workers and, and uh, evangelistic people. And, and then, of course, he went to the college and was leading a college campus group. Again, more people saved. So the potential of his life and ministry uh, was very apparent that uh, this was only the beginning of what God was going to do. And this is the way God looks upon you. 
He doesn't see you as a failure, a mistake, an outcast, a, a person that, that has no towards, no direction. He sees in you, by his grace, what he can make you to be. He met Peter, the sailor, the fisherman, and his name was Simon, which means wishy-washy, which means read. And he changed his name immediately. Before he prayed a prayer, before he preached a sermon, before he was called an apostle, he said, Thou art wishy-washy. Thou art Simon. Thou art a reed. But thou shalt be called a little stone, a rock. I'm telling you, God does put confidence in you. And he puts honor upon his saints. And uh, I'm going to give you a scripture, and I'm not going to comment on it until I give you this story, because I think that we have a problem here. And let me give you this story, and I want you to put God in the picture. There's a story about a man driving a, a convertible on a mountain road who took an unexpected turn too quickly, and he went right over the edge. And as his car fell, he managed to grab onto a tree sprouting from the cliff as his car dropped 2,000 feet or more down to the bottom of the canyon. And he began to cry, Help! He screamed, Help! Can anyone hear me? An echo is about the only response. Then he cried, God, can you hear me? Suddenly the clouds rolled together and a voice like thunder said, Yes, I can hear you. Will you help me? Yes, I will help. Do you believe in me? Yes, I believe in you. Do you trust me? Yes, I trust you. But hurry! After a long silence, <laughs> the voice said, If you trust me, let go of the tree. Silence. Then he yelled, Can anyone else hear me? <laughs> now I'm going to ask you, how many trust the Lord? It's easy to trust the Lord in good times, in good seasons, but you've got to trust the Lord in all seasons. Put your trust in Him. Put your trust in Him. He's the only trustworthy person that will never betray your trust. Now I'm going to talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus in a way that you probably never heard it. And I'm going to say some things that you have a right to have an opinion. You have a perfect right to have an opinion. But I can't help it if I'm right. <laughs> I'm going to tell you things that you probably never heard before. In relationship to the coming of the Lord. And after 68 years of reading my Bible. And 68 years of being in the ministry. And after 68 years of sitting under some of the greatest men and women of God, and by the way, women has as much to do in imparting strength and courage into my life. Prophecies that I would be preaching to millions were given by, by some women, and that came to pass many times. Prophecies that I would be raised from the dead literally came to pass when God raised, and it was by another a woman prophetess. And so women are as dynamically prophetic as men if they yield themselves to God. And so I want to share some things that you've never probably ever heard before that awaits you in just a little while before Jesus comes. The scripture I want to start with is James, the fifth chapter, and we'll begin reading from the seventh verse. 
Be patient. The word that we don't really like. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience. For it until he receive the early and the latter rain, the spring rain and the fall rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord. For an example of suffering, of affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. Not the end of the Lord. The end of what happened by the Lord, through the Lord, to Job. That the Lord is pitiful. God of pity, God of compassion. And you hear everybody say, well, how, did, how can I believe God's a God of compassion when he gives cancer? When he gives polio? When he gives, God didn't give polio or cancer. Don't you blame God. When sin entered the world, death came and sickness came. I got some good news for you. You're going to hear something you probably never heard before in your life. Be patient. I'm going to talk about, and these words are in red in the book of Mark. The fourth chapter, this is Jesus speaking, Mark 4, 23. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. All right, do this with me. Take your fingers just like this. And just put them like this. Now pray this prayer. Jesus, give me ears to hear. Seven times in the book of Revelation. It said, hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. There are gloomy gusses and crepe hangers in the church that are preaching all sorts of false doctrine, all kinds of confusing doctrines, and they're bringing fear and foreboding and unbelief and confusion the Spirit of the Lord is saying something in this year of 2014 that you got to hear. you got to hear the prophetic word, not just for survival, but you got to hear it to know what God's ultimate intentions and purpose is for you, your family, your future, your ministry. And there's no such thing as secular work or spiritual work, everything you do, you do it is under the Lord. If you're a doctor, a lawyer, a plumber, a carpenter, uh, a mailman, a mailwoman, whatever you do, you do it is under the Lord. You eat to the Lord, you drink to the Lord, you sleep. That's part of your, 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 your unto the Lord, everything you are and everything you do. And so there's nothing <laughs> left out here. And he's got to get your attention because men on the platform are not the only ones that hear God. Guest preachers or apostles and prophets that come are not the only one that hear God. He said, my sheep hear my voice. How many sheep are here? Let's just see if you sound like a sheep. Go back. There was a guy button back there. That's a goat. Goat's butt. 
my sheep hear my voice. And then verse 25, for he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken, even the little he hath. And so he said, this is the kingdom of God. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep night and day, and the seed should spring up and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he put in the sickle, because the harvest is come. I could give you many more scriptures, but I want to I just kind of get to the point here. Two friends were discussing a sign. They were kind of like a sandwich board sign on the street corner in Oakland, California. One said, the world is coming to an end. And another guy had a sign that said, the world will never end. And two fellows that were standing there watching said, well, one of them is a pessimist and one of them is an optimist, but I can't tell for sure which is which. Now, I'm going to make some statements. There need be no uncertainty. The pessimists are wrong. The future is not hopeless. The world will not end in a whimper or a bang. It will not be insinuated, drowned in its own garbage, shriveled up in mass starvation, suffocated in polluted air, cremated and vaporized by atomic bombs. <laughs> I would throw away all of those books that are scaring the petunias out of you. I don't like horror movies. I never go to them. I never allow them in my house. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. I'm not a loser. When I hooked up with Jesus, I hooked up with all power. All power. The greatest power. The greatest power over all the power of the devil, the Antichrist. But the optimists are wrong, too. Although... We live in an exciting time, an outstanding array of scientific achievements. Although we can plausibly predict that the world will continue to enjoy rising standards of living, the future is not in the hands of ingenious men and women who will always come up with necessary adjustments and solutions. Technology will never cure, for example, the self-interest the greed of individuals or nations. The United Nations cannot produce peace, cannot produce harmony. The Democrat Party cannot. The Republican Party cannot. It's not of this world system to have the power and ingenuity and intelligence and power to do it. There's one entity on this planet earth that God said would transform and change lives and turn darkness into light, failure into victory, sinners into saints. And that is the church filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. A church that is holy and righteous and cleansed and sanctified. Somebody shout hallelujah. Why are 10 people standing? There are 10 that believe it here. <laughs> you are the church. You are the church. It's not a building. It's the people of God that Christmas says 
a virgin conceived as the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and told her that there would be a baby born and his name would be Jesus and he would save the people from their sin. Hallelujah. I'm getting emotional. You should see me when I was young. I used to crawl on top of the pulpit and preach. This wouldn't hold me. We believe in the Lord's return. We believe that it will not be in secret. We believe that graves will open the world over. The sea will give up millions and millions of dead. The call of the life giver will be heard by the living and the dead. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ will rise first. I was in Hot Springs Village. We had a little house. John and I been there. And the board of this church have been to my place. I got rid of it because there was nobody but seniors living there. <laughs> when I said... I'm going to sell it. He said, you just have it a year and a half. Why are you going to sell it? I said, there's only seniors here. He said, what do you think you are? I said, you just look on the outside of me. I'm young in faith. I believe that something's going to happen. I, they said, you want to go make, you want to go play bridge? And they told my wife, we have a quilting party. And, and I said, why aren't there babies running around here? Why aren't there teenagers here? Nothing but people <laughs> that are old. Now I'm 82, and I'm telling you what God told me about this church. This church is a transgenerational church. Thus saith the Holy Spirit, I'm going to make all of you that want to be used of me I'm going to give you a young faith. I'm going to give you an ability to impart to a generation that is coming up. The faith that has kept you, the faith that has produced life in you and victory in you and answers to prayer through danger, toil, and trials and snares and demonic things that have come against you and your family, but you agonize, you prayed, and you rejoice and worship, and you are still here giving me glory and honor. You will transfer that to a generation, and with them, you're going to bring in the greatest harvest in Texarkana ever seen. Let me hear a hallelujah. Transgeneration. You say, you mean that, that Pastor John is going to die and then the young people? No, no. Transgenerational is not Moses going up in the mountain and dying. It's Moses and Joshua working together. This generation needs bald-headed men. Yeah. <laughs> One of the great prophets with a double portion was bald headed. Now look at me. This generation needs fathers and mothers that have been there. They've been through it, to work with them, to love them, to try to understand them. This guy was praying, and God said, I'll give you anything you want. He said, really? Yes. He said, I want you to build a highway all the way to Hawaii. A highway all the way to Hawaii, God said. I can't do that. can't do that. Let me give you one more chance. What do you want? And he said, I want you to give me the ability to understand my wife. God said, how many, how many roads do you want? One way or a freeway? 
Now listen to me very carefully. You don't have to be an expert in child psychology. You don't have to understand all the mechanizations of the young people. But you have to have a heart. We build the church in San Jose out of hippies, out of drug addicts, out of gangbangers, out of young people that had no towards, no direction. And God said to me, love them! I don't know how to love hippies. They smell different. They act different. They look different. And God gave me a love for young people. We discipled them. Some today are pastoring churches of thousands. Some are missionaries. Some are lawyers. Some are doctors. We need be transgenerational. And so the future, hear this, your future is not uncertain. It's not left to the demonic forces of this present world. When you hooked up with Jesus, you hooked up <laughs> with an ultimate purpose, an ultimate intention for you to be created into his image and likeness, to become his expression, to become his ambassador, to become his ministry of reconciliation, his harvesting machinery to bring in a generation that has no direction and no towards, but are hungry and needy and wanting. That's why they wear crystals. That's why they used to shoot heroin and are still doing it. That's why they took psychedelic drugs. They can't live in an empty world. There's got to be something more to life than this. And you know there is. Hallelujah. Come on, everyone. You know there is something more. And you have, to, you have to share it. Now listen to me. When will the coming of the Lord be? And it's been asked for 2,000 years. The Lord left a clue. And the clue is so important. What God is after is the fruit of the harvest. When Jesus was describing to John on the Patmos the nature and the timing of the second event, he reemphasized the harvest principle. And the harvest principle is that the husbandman is waiting for the precious fruit. <laughs> that's the church. The precious fruit, that's the sons and daughters of God to come into maturity. The maturing of the saints. Look at me. Will you not get mad at me? If the rapture took place today, God would have a million complainers, a billion gossipers, a billion people that can't even get along with their wife or husband, children rebellious, all claiming to be saved, <laughs> and heaven wouldn't be heaven. God is waiting for the preachers to start preaching that the blood that saves you, the blood that cleanses you and justifies you by grace through faith and grace alone, then gives you the power not just to be saved, but to be saved from the power and corruption of sin. Let me hear a hallelujah. We're singing too many songs about I'm not righteous. I am not holy. I'm just a sinner. Well, you were a sinner. God intends for you to be a saved son of God. Quit making allowances. The devil wants you to make allowances. He wants inside inroads into your life. You are going to be Chains to his glorious image and likeness. And he's working on that right now. Now, 
Listen to this statement now and judge it. The farmer must wait for the seed to ripen, and Jesus will wait until the gospel has produced a significant group of mature Christians who demonstrate in flesh and blood the fruitage of faith. Christ's character will be reproduced in the lives of his church, and this is the purpose of grace. This is the purpose of faith. This is the great object of the plan of redemption. Farmers and prophets have several things in common, the chief of which they both engage in conditional prophecies. Farmers know, for example, on the basis of the promises in the seed catalog, that early corn should be ready in about 68 days. If, everybody say if, such things as varying amounts of rainfall, how hot the days, how cold the nights, and that's often beyond the farmer's control. Similarly, our Lord is saying to us in Texarkana that the delay in the harvest of this world has not been due to biblical error or failure or some mistake or some change of mind on the part of the divine farmer. As far as God is concerned, the harvest could have been reaped decades ago. And that's why I said when it says the husbandman waited patiently. And I thought, why does God have to be patient? He could click his fingers. Red Sea open. He could click his fingers. Stars, moon, trillions of planets. He could click one word. Let there be or three words. Why is he patient? Because he's not dragging you to heaven. He's not forcing you to heaven. The Holy Spirit is saying, Come. Be the bride. Let me work. <laughs> Let me take that prejudice. Let me take that sectarian spirit. Let me take away that grudge, that offense. Let me take away that inferiority complex. Let me work on all of these isms. You say, Brother Kenneth Tracy, come on, be realistic. Look at the ISIS beheading Christians. Look at humanism taking control. Look at our universities and our college and our, our schools. Can't pray. Ten Commandments taken off the walls. Can't wear a cross. Can't have a Jesus t-shirt. I mean, things. Don't you realize what's happening? Don't, yeah, I realize what's happening. But I also realize God's ultimate purpose and intention is for the church to be stronger than all the junk the devil has and all the wiles. Listen, you say, but what about Islamism? What about Mormonism? What about Buddhism? What about Confucianism? What about New Ageism? What about what about all the isms? Listen, when the church comes into God's glorious power and revelation, all the isms will be wasms. We are the church. And communism and Islamism doesn't hold the balance of power. The church of Jesus Christ is the salt and light. Put up your hands, everybody. Wave your hand. You're the salt and light. You have the power to tread upon scorpions and serpents and over all the power of the devil. It was my privilege as a young man. I, I, I've always wanted to be around older men in the ministry. F.F. F. Bosworth, 85 years old. I sat under his he actually came to where I was and discipled me in a revelation. I believed it, but I, I just didn't, I couldn't put it together. And I, 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 I was talking to him, and I said, the children of Israel, they went through the wilderness, and the Bible said, not one of them was old and feeble. <laughs> I like that. Not one of them was sick, anemic. And so 
he sat down and began to open the scriptures to me. And he said, young man, have you ever heard of the mass miracle? I said, I've been kind of trying to believe for something like that. He said, God revealed to him that before the rapture, not during the rapture, not in the rapture, and not after we arrive in heaven, but before the rapture, what happened to Israel, everyone in Israel, two or three million at the time coming out, not one feeble, not one sick. He said there's going to be a mass miracle, and the greatest display of the glory of God will be that every man, woman, boy, and girl that's a part of the church is going to throw away their glasses, take off their hearing aids, get rid of their trusses, and flush down the toilet. Well, don't do that here. It might, it might poison the waters. <laughs> flush down the medicine, and everyone is going to experience a mass healing like the children of Israel. Come on, everyone. A mass healing. How many would like that to see that? And then Jesus is going to say to the world, this is what Satan challenged me. It could never happen with fallen humanity. It could never happen with Adam's race. It could never happen. The greed, the selfishness, the I, me, my, even in the church. And God said, I knew that I through the Holy Spirit could, <laughs> could present a people without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing. And I'm going to hold up Revelations 14, 12, said, here they are. And you know the two words? Here they are, the patient of the saints. Here they are, those that have kept the faith of Jesus. The faith of Jesus. He's going to display before he takes us out of this world to all the ungodly, to all the demons in hell and out of hell, a church that is glorious and holy and righteous and pure. The happiest, the healthiest, the kindest, the most generous people on earth. The church began that way. They began. People began to put their money to the apostles' feet so that there would be none, none, none lacking. They were generous. They didn't have to pull and beg and, and intimidate and do schemes like they're doing today to get people to give. There was such a generosity. God filled them with the Holy Ghost and they got drunk on the new wine. And somebody said, yeah, and God rolled them for their pride. Hallelujah. I found out as a young boy, a person that gets inebriated, that gets drunk. I used to shine shoes five years of age in the city of Chicago. And I used to shine. And these drunkards, they wanted to shine. And I charged a nickel. But they would say to me as I shined their shoes, son, just help yourself. And I'd see quarters. That's five times what I would have charged. Help yourself. You get a person drunk on the spirit, you get them full of the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, they're generous. Somebody shout hallelujah. You're too sober. Put up your hands right now. We'll just have a filling of the Spirit of God. That cancer can go tonight. That, that heart trouble can go. That sickness can go in the name of Jesus. But I'm telling you, it is going to happen. The greatest spiritual awakening that's ever happened in all of the history, 2,000-year history of the church and the thousands of years of the Old Testament church is going to happen. And men of great repute in the spirit are hearing that the next three seasons, the next three years, it is going to begin. And the harvest, the harvest that Jesus has died for and waited for and sent the rain for to produce this fruit of his travail, the reward of his sacrifice. Can I tell you something now? 
I do not believe what I preached all of my life. If there was only one person in the world, Jesus still would have died. I believe that Jesus died for many, for millions. Come on, everyone. Hallelujah. I believe the greatest harvest. That's why I do, like your pastor said, I do put money in. I'm already a 25 percenter in my giving. I believe in the harvest. I believe in the harvest. I believe in the church. I love the church. I love the people of God. And I am angry with the devil how he's trying to abuse the people of God and torment. Listen, Paul made no, he made no, no statements that you'd be free. He said, to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. He said, I want to come and see you, but the hinderers there. He knew there were times there would be hindrances, there'd be setbacks. But he said, I'm fighting a good fight of faith. Somebody shout hallelujah. And he did finish. He didn't leave because he who have begun a good work in Texarkana and in your life will finish it. Come on, everybody. Raise your hands and shout with me. Shout with me. Shout with me. Here they are. Here they are. Look at this. This is my bride. The most beautiful bride. Jesus is not going to have a fuss and fighting, divisive, prejudice sectarian bride going to be a bride that is beautiful fair and lovely I shared in 30 seconds I'll share I read from the Dead Sea Scrolls after God gave me these uh, revelations about the mass miracle the mass healing the perfection of the church and the glorification and sanctification of the bride. I read that a kid ran into a cave after his little sheep and stumbled on the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Dead Sea Scrolls had the Bible exactly like you read it. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all that you have here, the scrolls. And in the scrolls, and I have a copy, be glad to make it available, the restoration of Sarah 90 years old, desert, worn, her skin wrinkled and like leather, dry and hard. Old, the Bible is kind, said old and well stricken. And one day Abraham woke up and he looked in the bed next to him. And there was Sarah, beautiful, skin smooth radiant been totally restored so much beauty and it describes her beauty physically and radiance that kings desired kings don't want a 90 year old woman they have a harem of a thousand but they took sarah and god said that's a picture of my church will be beautiful come on beautiful Something beautiful, something beautiful, something beautiful. This is prophetic. Hold hands, everybody. Hold hands. Father, I, I've given these people a lot of words here that your character is going to be vindicated, that the church would be the proof positive why we have to be patient why we can't give in God wants a people that hang in there <laughs> even when their soul is exceedingly sorrowful not my will but thine be not. even when they lose their job as the song leader said or lose the 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 sparkle in their marriage or lose their health or lose a friend in death hang in there by the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's grace 
it's not the end, but it's the opening of a brand new transition into more powerful grace displayed and glory in their lives. I'm asking you, God, to make this be the merriest Christmas, not because they got a new car or a new bike or a new, a new dishwasher or whatever, but the happiest, merriest Christmas because now they know that Jesus died not just to take them to heaven, but he died to save them from the power of sin so that they can be a shining life and a life saver to a generation that's going to hell. Excited, merry, joyful, in the worst possible time in the history of Israel. The worst time. The canker worm, the pomper worm, the caterpillar, the locust, great armies devastated them. It was impossible. It was impossible. And the secret to that revival was rejoice, be glad. How can you rejoice and be glad? Everything's falling apart. Rejoice and be glad. For the rain is coming. The former and latter rain is coming. Oh God, is they're holding hands right now. Let there be a spirit in them of repentance for doubting or not trusting or giving in to anxiety or worry or dread or foreboding. Let them get like Joel prophesied of the church of the Old Testament. Rejoice! How can you rejoice when the grub worms are eating, when the canker worms are Rejoice! <laughs> because revival, spiritual renewal, harvest is coming. Oh, people, would you just raise your hands and start shouting right now? Start shouting right now. Will you start shouting? I want to hear a shout. They tell me you're the shoutingest people on the second service on Sunday. I want to hear you shout! We rejoice! We rejoice. Now bow your heads. Close your eyes. If you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you are away from God and you, you don't want to be left out. Big things are going to happen in the next three years. I promise you, an awakening will begin. It will consummate in the return of Jesus. But he will display before he catches us away to what he died for <laughs> and what he reproduced will be the glory of God that fills the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. You still want to go to hell? He'll let you. <laughs> you still want to disbelieve? You still want to rebel? You still want to do your own thing? He'll let you. But he will have a display beyond anything this world has ever known and seen. The glory of the Lord filling the whole earth I don't know Jesus personally as my Savior. I believe he exists, but I want to know him as my Savior. Put your hand up, and I'm going to pray for you right now. God bless you. God bless you. One, two, three, four, five, put it, six, seven. Put it up high. I'm going to pray for you. Why don't we just raise our hands and all say the same prayer right now. Put up your hands. Say, Jesus, I believe your word. Help my unbelief. Today, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. Come on in and reign in me. Take over my life. In Jesus' name, I believe. I confess my sin. And the blood of Jesus cleanses me. And the power of the Spirit is invited into my life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand. Pastor John. You know, Pastor John, would you come here too? I just uh, have a, a word, a prophetic word. Because you're my son-in-law, some people think 
oh, I'm just I'm doing nice things and favoring. It has nothing to do with that. I see the Lord taking you to a test and a trial. And I see you wondering, is it punishment? Is it judgment? Where did I fail? Where did I miss? It has nothing to do with that. I'm going to give you a greater capacity. These hands that are holy hands, that are anointed hands, will be touching lives <laughs> that have been declared and decreed by the doctors incurable, terminal. There's a healing faith going to come. You've witnessed the trial of your own wife and the deliverance and your prayers of intercession and you stood fast to see her through this. Why would I allow something like that? I didn't cause it. I didn't send it. But why would I allow you to even go through things? <laughs> Sometimes there's misunderstandings. Sometimes people don't see and understand and recognize that the power of resurrection is also the fellowship of suffering. But it only lasts for a season. <laughs> Weeping just endures for a tiny bit of time. And you are going to have an understanding heart, a compassionate heart, even more than it's been. And you're going to be able to speak and declare and prophesy and decree the word of the Lord. And hundreds of people are going to be saved and healed and filled with the Holy Ghost. And the Lord said, I commend you for taking your stand. It's not a popular stand that you've taken. When others are compromising, others are afraid of the government, and afraid of being politically incorrect, and they want to be, you know, they want to be the best buddy to everybody, and so they compromise. You've taken a stand for righteousness and purity, and I'm going to vindicate you. <laughs> I'm going to confirm my word, and I will bless you. You will know wholeness and health and long life, saith the Lord.